You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Everybody. I'm so glad you're here today, uh, and I'm excited that I get to do my about quarterly preach. I'm actually super excited about that. Um, it's interesting because the last few preaches, if you've heard me say, if you remember back, I would say that, um, gosh, I started to get into it, and I was so shocked at how much depth there was in the scripture. And I have changed my focus to, I'm excited how much depth that I'm expecting there to be in the scripture. And so it's, it's actually really cool. I was just excited to do that. I'm like, okay, it's, it's literally a half a chapter, but it's going to fill up. Well, we'll see how much time it fills up because you're the test case. <clears throat> but there's a couple of things that I wanted to do before we did that this morning. Uh, number one, I wanted to wish a happy, uh, very, very happy birthday to my fantastic uh, daughter-in-law, Hannah Mae Frost Swarbrick. And so I don't know if they're watching this morning, but uh, I'm just, I'm so glad that she's a part of our family and that the Frost and Sorbrick families are molded. We had a wonderful birthday party with them the other night, and it's so fantastic to see the impact that's being made uh, in the town of Davis, in a college town that is just, you know, a liberal place of, of thought and philosophy and all that. But um, there was 30 kids there, and they all loved the Lord. And, you know, they played college games. It wasn't like a you know, you go to a college party and it was like a drunken crazy fest. It was kids who love the Lord and they're and just enjoying it and, and so much fun. I'm so glad that that exists and they're um, powering forward in a, in a ministry that they have down there. And so happy birthday to, to Hannah. And I'd like to say publicly that she very much sharpens me. <laughs> if you know the Frost girls well, and I'd also like to say publicly her mom, Margo, is much the same. Uh, and Hannah, I did listen to three and a half hours worth of uh, speech on egalitarianism, egalitarianism last uh, couple weeks, and, and I took notes, and so I'm, um, I <laughs> get ready to, not to debate, but I want to tell you what, if you want a good debate, uh, any one of the Frost girls are fantastic in that, so I just want to um, just appreciate them in that, and I just also want to say that um, I'm so appreciative of um, the memorial that we had yesterday for one Mike Keith, and what is appreciative is not of of passing, uh, it's appreciative that the the gospel was preached, and and that was exactly what the family wanted and what Teresa wanted. And do you know that we can have joy and we can have celebration? Mike is in heaven. He believed God's promises, and he is absolutely. We have no doubt. And so we don't um, we don't come to mourn for his behalf. We come to celebrate for his behalf because he ran the race that Paul talked about, and he made it. And just what a wonderful display of faith and um, just a goal to get there someday, you know, for myself, for my family. That's, that's where we're at to continue to run the race. And I just want to say that God was glorified and I just appreciate that. And I also want to say that we have a lot of families that are struggling. They're going through hard times right now. We lost Tiffany as well. Far too young. So hard. But God is there. Not a single person falls or dies. Not a single one of his saints falls without him knowing about it. And God is there. And I want to tell you that sometimes we don't know what to say. And we don't have to know what to say. But what we can say is, I'm sorry for your loss and I'm praying for you. And when you say I'm praying for you, pray for them. Pray for the family. Pray for God's peace to wash over. It's just really important. We don't have to know what to say, but we can say that. So um, I just want to say that, that, that we've got a lot of, we got a lot of loss. We're, we've got a lot of people that are struggling through stuff. And please remember that as we go out throughout our day. And so 
We're going to um, continue on in, uh, thanks for allowing me that aside, um, and continue on in Acts, the second half of, half of uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 17. And, and Matt did a wonderful job. We were joking this morning because, you know, he said, oh, the second service was so much better. And we were listening online and there was no sound online. So I said it was totally better because I could actually hear you. <laughs> so uh, Matt did a wonderful job. I love... Uh, when Matt preaches, because it's like, put on your seatbelts, and we're going to dive in deep in Scripture. Um, it's hard to follow. Um, but in taking a look back, we, had, we have so much that's going on. The, at this point, the apostles are on fire. They are on Holy Spirit fire, because if we look back in the last few chapters, what do we have? We have Pentecost that's coming. We have the Holy Spirit coming down. We're, we're filling people. The apostles were preaching in tongues that they didn't know, but they were languages for the people that came from around to hear that so that they could understand. And it was amazing. They're on fire. They're healing people. We had a crippled man who was, had been crippled for 40 years, undeniably getting up and walking right alongside. And so we have healings that are happening, and we have people coming to the Lord. By, the Bible says the thousands. Thousands were added day by day. And what an amazing time because the gospel is being realized at that point in time. Jesus gave them the commandment, go and preach the gospel in my name, telling, teaching them to obey what I command. And so that's what they were doing. And the fruit of what was going on was absolutely amazing. And so I love looking back on that. Many signs and wonders were happening. And so what was happening is that the gospel message is, is spreading like wildfire, which is beginning to frustrate the Jewish leaders at the time, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and the, and the Sadducees. And so, um, but at the same time, it's undeniable that the miracles are happening in the name of Jesus. You can't deny that. When the first time that they were, they were charged by the, Sanhe- the, uh, excuse me, the Sadducees not to teach, who is standing next to, to Peter and John? The crippled man that was healed. You, you can't deny that. This guy hadn't walked in 40 years. And he's standing right there. And they're like, don't teach in this man's name. They're like, this man walks because of Almighty Jesus and because of the healing that he can bring. And it's just amazing to see. This is undeniable at this point in time. So it all comes to a head when the Pharisees come in again to arrest the apostles and try to get them to stop. And it's most uh, notably speaking of Peter and John. So the first title here was Jealousy in Acts 5, 17 through 18. I'm going to piece this up actually quite a bit. It says, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. The Jews didn't operate the prison. The Romans did, and it was the public prison they put them in. So in, in kind of making a, a connection to how our Western culture would work. So you had the, the Sanhedrin, which would be like the, you know, the Jewish elders or the, the ruling party, so to speak. And so you had Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they, they would be like the Sadducees would have been maybe like, uh, kind of like the liberal side of that. And the Pharisees may have been the more conservative side. They may have done the, you know, the original uh, translation of the Constitution as the, as the founding fathers framed it, to put it in Western culture and Western speak. And so the Sadducees may have been more of the liberal translators in that. So they were, they were actually filled with jealousy. And so uh, in, in verse, the, the end of verse 17 says, filled with jealousy. And, and the reason why is because the spotlight was taken off of them. Remember that these were the rulers that had been the go-to for law and for, for how do we do things for thousands of years. And so now that the Messiah has come, and now that the gospel is being preached, the spotlight is no longer on them. And so they're filled with jealousy. They're telling the apostles, don't preach. Don't, don't talk about the healing that's happening. How dare you talk about healing and miracles? 
right? We'll find that actually in this passage, uh, the following passage, Luke seems to be actually mocking the Sadducees in the, pack, in the passage. It does get a little bit funny. Luke wrote uh, the, the book of Acts, and so there is a little bit of dramatic license that is taken in mocking them. They were opposed to Christianity not because they believed that Jesus was not the Messiah, but also due to their jealousy, that blinding jealousy. And in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, speaks on this. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But... The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Jealousy. Disorder. Every vile practice. This is what's going on. This is what, when we're filled with jealousy, this is what it... It boils down to disorder. Our lives will become unmanageable. But wisdom from above. Put off jealousy and selfish ambition. That's wisdom. Wisdom from above. Moving forward a little bit. 519 through 26 where they're jailed and freed. It says, but during the night, and this is after they were put in jail. They were just thrown in jail by the, by the uh, Sadducees. After, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. And it was interesting, it was Matt and I were driving to Sacramento the other day. He said, man, I woke up early, like, I was like 5 a.m. the other day, and I was just contemplating. I looked out my window, and, and it was dark, and there was nobody out there, and it was daybreak. And so that's when our first fruits come out. And, and so the apostles, daybreak, they got to the temple before, you know, probably anybody was there. And they were ready. They were ready to start preaching the word of the Lord. And I highlighted all the words of this life. And what was, what was that referring to? All the words of this life refers to the gospel. And that's the most important thing. So the angel of the Lord said, go to the temple and preach all the words of this life. And that meant the gospel. And the whole point of that was that we're, we're finishing the whole gospel with the resurrection. Because at that point in time, the non-believing Jewish leaders didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. And that's the point he's saying, make sure you hit this point specifically, all the words of his life. And they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. All the words of this life is a beautiful expression for that life in the risen one, which was burden, the burden of their preaching. And the whole gospel, the resurrection, creation, fall, law, sin offering, sacrifice, propitiation, resurrection, and redemption from start to finish. All the gospel, all the good news. And I, I look forward to the next couple of chapters, especially Stephen's speech, where I mean, it's several pages of him just hitting the, the Jewish leaders hard about really what the true gospel is and the depth in that. I'm so excited to hear what, what um, that has to say. And so there's an immediate response and an action. And so the angel of the Lord said, I want you to go. I'm going to release you, and I want you to do that. And so um, when the angel of the Lord 
speaks to us, I got to imagine if an angel came down and let, you know, let off my chains and then opened the door to the jail and I walked by the, the jailer that was sitting there, I would probably listen to him. I would hope that I would listen to him. I mean, I, I have not personally heard the, the voice of the Lord audibly. Some of you may possibly have. And what an amazing uh, transition to being able to audibly hear the voice of the Lord or see an angel of the Lord that literally releases you from prison. Do you think that they believed? Yeah, absolutely they believed. And their, um, their response was immediate. And we'll see other instances in the future of the angel of the Lord. And it talks about, um, I, I had uh, mentioned something about worship a couple of weeks ago when, when Paul was put in chains in the prison and, there, and the, the prison sounds were filled with worship and the, and the chains literally fell off of them. That's the power of prayer, prayer praise, and worship that, that we are able to tap into. So moving on to verse 19. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of, of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them. This is, I believe, where Luke is making a little bit of fun of them right now because here they are perplexed. They're like, there's nobody inside, right? And this is a Roman jail. You don't just escape from Roman jail. Somebody would have had to, the, the, the guards were asleep. No. And so the point here is they were perplexed. Why were they so perplexed to see that a miracle of the Lord had happened where the angel came in and released them from prison? They literally just stood next to somebody who had not walked for the last 40 years and yet are unwilling to see and believe the miracle that exists of a couple of guys getting out of, out of jail and prison. I, I would think that would be a little bit harder to heal somebody that hasn't walked in 40 years. I, I don't know how hard it is to do that. But I'm going to tell you what. So they're, they're perplexed, and, and, and uh, they're like, how could this possibly happen? Completely negating all the rest of the things that had been happening in the, in the near recent past in the last few chapters that we talked about. Greatly perplexed about them. Wondering what is to come. And someone told them, look, the men who you put in prison, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. Then the captain and the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So last week, Matt talked about the temple and kind of the areas in the temple and how many people would have been there. And imagine if there were thousands being added to the faith every day, how many people would have been in the temple? Like, there would have been thousands of people in there, most likely. I wasn't there, but I, I would imagine that, that would have been how many were there. And the reason why is because they were hearing of all the signs and wonders. They were seeing miracles that had happened. They were seeing the lame walk. They were seeing people healed. They were hearing voices in languages that, there were, that were their own dialect. And what an amazing sight that was. And they went to the temple to listen. And so we had thousands of people there. And they didn't have you know, like a little belt pack with a microphone and a PA system, right? So what they would have had are thousands of people that were listening, I would imagine, very intently. Try to talk to a crowd of 5,000 people. I mean, we got to speak up a little bit, right? And so in order to do so, everybody was there and they were focused and they were fixed on what the apostles were saying. And they were talking about Jesus and the resurrection and the life and the death, propitiation and sin offering and how we can come into that. And so 
this is what was happening. And so here you got some of the, some of the captains going in there, and now they're going to take these people out of the, the thousands of people that are intently listening? I don't think so. I think that that's why they're like, we're going to get stoned if we go in there and arrest them again, right? So what they did was they were like, hey, can you guys come with us for a minute? Like, we're going to, you know, hey, we're just going to borrow the, uh, the teachers here for a minute. And so, because they knew that they were going to incite the next riot. They didn't want to get killed for what they were doing. Certainly not. They were so blinded in their jealousy that they could not put together what was going on. And they brought them out not by force. There were thousands of people. They were all the people that were in there. They were hungry. They were witnesses to what was going on. They were, they were building in their faith, and it was amazing. They had been placing sick people in the streets just so that Peter's shadow would walk by and they would get healed. Can you imagine the faith that exists to say, I know that what these, these, these ordinary men are doing and I know that it's working because we've seen it. Bring our sick and lay them in the streets just so that when he walks by, they'll get healed. And they believe that. And I want to tell you what an amazing thing of faith right now. So who do we owe our obedience to? And moving forward a little bit, this is when they had brought them to him, they're being questioned by the, by the Sadducees. And it says, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, highlighted, We must obey God rather than men. Underscore, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. But God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, underscore, to give repentance to Israel for forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given you those to obey. And I, I think I literally underscored that entire, um, that entire verse in there. And so each one of those things is actually very poignant in response to what the Sadducees are saying. So I'm going to go through those things uh, kind, of, kind of point by point. And in his name, notice that, that they didn't say, it, talking about Jesus. They actually, at that point in time, wouldn't even mention his name. They didn't want to talk about him. Because they were so filled with jealousy that they weren't even willing to say his name. In his name. Peter's response to the questioning. We must obey God. What is he being obedient to? Well, there's a couple of things that he's obedient to because the angel of the Lord just went in there and said, I'm going to free you. I want you to go into the temple and I want you to, to preach the gospel. We strictly charged you not to teach. Yes, but God charged us to teach. And that's who we are going to obey at this point in time. So they're being obedient to the angel of the Lord and they're being obedient to the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 16 through 20, it says, now, 11, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority on earth has been, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them 
to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always. They were being obedient to the, to the great commandment, the great commission. Make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them. That's what they were being obedient to. And behold, I am with you always and to the end of the age. And the accusation here is promptly and truthfully turned back toward the questioning authority. This would pin the guilt squarely on them. We have heard it a couple of times where they said that you would put his blood upon us. And let's recall back, just for the sake of, of getting a whole picture there, that when Jesus was held in captivity and Pilate said, you can free one of these men. Who do you want to free? Who'd they pick? They picked the murderer, right? And they said, let him free. He's a murderer and crucify him. Yet they say, you would put his blood upon us. It's an interesting statement. This is for the non-believing Jews. There are a lot of Jews at that point in time that had become messianic or completed or believed that Jesus was actually the Messiah, that he said that he was. And it's amazing to see. Can you imagine if you've been waiting for thousands and thousands and thousands of years for your Messiah to come, and he does at that point in time in your life? What an exciting thing. There has been foretelling, and there has been looking, you know, looking back. But at that point in time, they're like, he's here today. What an amazing... What if Jesus came back today? What an amazing thing. Yeah. We get an amen to that. The God of our fathers raised Jesus. He says, and this is Peter speaking, he says, the God of our fathers, pointing directly to the resurrection that the Sadducees did not believe in. And he's identifying that it's the same God at that point in time. This is the God of our fathers, not a different God. It's the same God I believe in, the same God you believe in, raised Jesus up. And so he is putting that right back upon them. Whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. This is a poignant accusation that they crucified him to display that he was considered cursed and as a warning. And I, I drove right on by this verse to begin with until I dove in a little bit deeper. And so when they say who you killed by hanging on a tree, there's actually a lot of significance that exists in that. In order to do that, we need to let the Bible answer itself. So Deuteronomy chapter 21 Verse 22 says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him in the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. He would have been already killed, and he would have been put on a tree as a display that he was cursed by God, and don't ever do that again. And so it's very poignant when they say, you hung him on a tree. Not just he was crucified, but you hung him on a tree to prove that you consider him cursed, you consider him blasphemous, and you consider that he wasn't who he say he was. They were putting it right back on the Sadducees. I want to tell you that there was a boldness that existed in there in, in speaking to them. The Bible Knowledge Commentary describes the, uh, this curse, and it's describing various laws, and the law of a hanged corpse. It says, hanging a criminal on a tree was not for the purpose of putting him to death. Rather, after he was executed for a capital offense, his body was hanged on a tree as a warning to all who saw not to commit the same offense. The criminal was under God's curse, not because his body was hung on a tree, but because he had broken God's law by committing a crime worthy of death. Therefore, his body was not to be left on the tree overnight. This text was again used by the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3.13 to support the doctrine of Christ's penal substitutionary death for sinners. Christ being under God's curse enabled him 
to redeem us from under the curse of the law. And that, that last point just underscores how severely the non-believing Jews at that point felt about him. They felt that he was a curse, that he was a curse to their people, and that they were going to hang him on a tree and display him for all to see as a warning to not ever do that again. And they believed that he committed a crime punishable by death. And what was that crime? It was blasphemy, right? He claimed to be the Son of God. He, he, he claimed to be for the forgiver of sins. And who alone can forgive sins? God. Did he claim to be God? Certainly he did. And that's blasphemy in their eyes. And that's why they crucified him and hung on a tree and said, don't ever do this again. This is what will happen to you. He's a blasphemer. He is not who he say he is. But I want to tell you what, what the Jews meant, the unbelieving Jews meant for a curse, God absolutely meant for redemption. Because without him hanging on that tree, we're all still killing goats and, and looking at a priest who can get into the Holy of Holies once a year, to put it in simple layman's term. And there's no feature in that, but God recognized that we need a permanent uh, substitution as a propitiation for our sins forever. And that's why he put him there. That's why God did curse him as the sin offering on the tree up on the top of Calvary that he hung on. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And finally, they remind the Sadducees that Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God as a leader and as a savior to bring repentance for forgiveness and sins to Israel. Yet another poignant accusation that this is why Jesus is here. He's your leader. He's your savior. He is here to forgive your sins and mine. He is the head, kephale, leader, source of all that you have and yet you don't recognize it. And finally, we are witnesses, as is the Holy Spirit. And that's an important statement because they took witnesses very seriously. Proverbs 14.5 says, A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. We are witnesses. We have seen what he has done. You need to take that into account. So much so that you have seen what he has done. You should be witnesses yourself. You saw the lame man that stood at my right side when you were previously telling us not to, to preach in the name, not to, not to talk about this. We are all witnesses, as is the Holy Spirit, as is the Lord. He is the witness as well. So in the midst of these accusations, of course, you could see that the Sadducees are getting extremely frustrated because they are, again, they're the law of the land. And they're being told what, what is up now, right? And so they're getting extremely, extremely frustrated. And in the midst of this, a, a voice of reason appears. So there often exists a voice of reason to which both sides of an opinion will quietly listen to based on wisdom and respect. And even in our Western culture today, as divided as we are, there are those who command an audience and are thoughtfully wise, not self-seeking, and are devoted to an in-depth study of truth and application. And I'm sure that you could think about many people that, that you have heard speak that, you know, we're, we're such a polarized country. Everybody's got a platform. You, you put whatever on Facebook or Twitter or whatever the, you know, whatever the things are now. I don't have any of those anymore. <laughs> um, but, and there's no consequence to what you say. And so we've become more polarized because 
Everybody has a platform, and you need to listen to what I say. And, and I want a response, and most of the time that response is, you know, something polarizing to the opposite. And what we see on the news with our, our leaders of our, our country in, in, in Congress and the Senate are the people who are those polarized. That's what makes 5 o'clock news. Because it's not fun to see people who are, you know, gentle-spirited and who are wise anymore. We, we're so upside down in today's culture. But there are those people that, that exist. There are those people that, that are in, in leadership or in the Senate that when even the opposite side will stop and listen, and everybody's like, hang on a second. This so-and-so is speaking, and I want to hear what they have to say, even if they're the opposite opinion. And, and what an amazing thing to be able to listen to somebody who has wisdom. So now we'll enter... Um, will enter Gamaliel. It says, when they heard this, they were in, and this is in response to what the apostles were re, uh, pointing the direction of the accusation on them. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill him. So they were that mad at this point. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Verse 35 says, and he said to them, he's speaking to the, to the um, Sadducees, he says, men of Israel, take care about what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming that he was somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him, and he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, dispersed excuse me, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and they drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all that followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if it is, if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. So here you have people that are enraged enough to, to kill the apostles that stand in front of him, and yet the voice of reason comes in from the same group but the opposite side, that more conservative side, and says, and, and he gives his wisdom, and so they took his advice. And, and his simple statement was, what if? What if you're, what if you're right? What if you're wrong? Right? So Gamaliel was a disciple of Rabbi Hillel. And at this time, he was the head of the school of Hillel. In Jewish sources, he was known as Rabban Gamaliel. Most rabbis would simply be called Ravi or Rav, which it means teacher or my teacher, respectively. But Gamaliel was given the title of Rabban. This is above rabbi, which means our teacher. And it was a special title to the leader of the school of Hillel. Gamaliel was the first of seven rabbis to have this title. And, and I got this from the, um, the Jewish Encyclopedia, and it's, it's some quotes from the Mishnah. It says, he had so much influence in his own time that the Jewish Mishnah states, since Rabban Gamaliel the elder died, there has been no more reverence for the law, and purity and abstinence died out at the same time. So here's a man who, even today, is held in very, very high esteem. It's a man who who loved the Torah. He loved the interpretation of the law. He held tight to that, and he was, he was bound to that, so much so that 2,000 years later, we're still talking about how devoted he was. What an amazing thought that is. Enter Saul of Tarsus, who we would call Paul. 
student of Gamaliel, one of the chief writers of the New Testament and bringers of the gospel, was a student of this person who is a bringer of wisdom. Acts 22.3 says, this is Paul speaking, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. Paul was extremely zealous, so zealous that he oversaw the killing of many of the early disciples, right? That's a zeal that he had for God. Now, certainly it was misguided, and we know that Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus was radically changed, and he recognized right then and there that what he was doing was wrong. And he recognized right there that he had missed the Savior, right? But he was brought up into this person. It was amazing. So when, when Gamaliel spoke, all the Sanhedrin listened. He was gentle, he was calm, and he spoke with authority. He spoke in a wise manner to convince the Sadducees. And what was his question? What if? What if what you're saying is wrong? What if these men are just doing things of men? Then it's going to fizzle out. It just makes sense. Everybody else is going to die. Just let them be. But what if they're not? What if what they're doing is of God? Would you want to be found opposing the Lord? And I would suggest that that struck them a little bit deeper than the, than the former. Like, you don't want to fight against God. I mean, really. He is actually the creator of the universe. He's the author of life. He built everything. You want to have a dirt fight with him? He'd say, go get your own dirt. I made all that. It's, <laughs> right? You got nothing to fight with. Any of those tools? He made them. They're all his. Earthly consequences of being obedient to God. These do exist. Acts 5, 40 and 41, it says, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I find it interesting that um, I'm sure that Gamaliel was still there and he didn't say don't beat the the apostles. What he said was don't kill them. Um, there, there is some, some very interesting twist in that. I'll get to that in a second. But first, they, they rejoiced in being beaten. Who would rejoice in being beaten? Like, honestly. Uh, not me. I, I would hope that in the end days, that when we are persecuted, that, that we could just take that model and um, put that in the forefront of our lives. Rejoicing in being beaten. Why? Because they were counted worthy to suffer. I am so important that I am worthy to suffer the dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus. I'm so glad that you beat me because that means that I'm right smack dab in the middle of what God's will for my life is. That's kind of an amazing thing right there. Shows This is is the first uh, instance that the apostles are beaten for their faith. We're going to see a whole lot more of that as we go through Acts. But this shows an amazing perspective and a tremendous faith muscle. Like, do you think that they really believed? Of course, they had been healing people, and they've seen that. But you, again, are willing to be beaten for your faith. And this beating would have been severe. It wasn't like they were just flogged. It would have been most likely about 39 minus 1 lashes and according with Deuteronomy chapter 25, which was up to 40 lashes. And anything after that was dishonoring. Apparently it was honorable to be beaten 40 times, but after that it was dishonoring and might cause death. And so that's what they were, what they were beaten. Who here has been whipped once? You got 38 more to go. 
And you're going to be stoked about that. And I'm going to tell you, when they, when they were beaten, it wasn't like, it's actually, it's actually kind of passed over there very easily about, yeah, they were beaten and then they let them go. No, 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 no. They were beaten. They were brutally beaten. They were whipped 39 times. And then they were let go. And they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer. <laughs> That's crazy. I love it. It's so amazing. You beat me, but what are you going to do to me? My life is in Christ. This body is dying. It's going to be dead in no time. You can't take the eternal away from me. What do you got? Bring it. That's the attitude. And amen to that. I mean, what, what a, just a, an amazing, amazing example to us. But even though they were obeying God, they were punished for breaking the rules that the Sadducees had set forth. This earning them a beating according to the law that they had said. We command you not to preach in this name. So were they breaking the commandments that they were just given by the Sadducees or the elders at the time? They were. Right? So were they subject to the punishment? I believe actually that's why maybe, it doesn't say, but it's my own uh, interpretation. Maybe that's why Gamaliel was silent at this point. He said, the law got laid down. You broke the law. You deserve to get beaten for this. We're not going to kill you. That, that may have been what it, that's my own thing. But I want to tell you what, that they were still subject to that. Even though, God didn't release them from that. He released them from jail. He didn't release them from, from the beating. I don't know why, but I can tell you that it was a faith builder. And it was so that everybody else could see, and especially the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees could see, that no matter what we do to them, they're not going to stop preaching because they have seen the truth. They have seen the Messiah. They have seen the miracles. And here they are. And I, and I believe that's why they still in, in, incurred this beating because you can't take that away. You can't take that away. If we obey God's law and break the laws of the land, are we then immune to the consequences? No. I would say not. Um, I'm going to give you an example that dates back to uh, when, when we were going through COVID. And we actually, as a church, were very intense. Steve sat down. I remember this. He asked the question. He said, am I... Because they said, you can't meet, right? The governor said, you're not allowed to meet. You're not allowed to gather. You're not allowed to assemble. And Steve asked himself the question, he said, am I willing to go to jail for this? And, the, and the answer was yes. And so we're called not to forsake the gathering. God's word, Hebrews 10, 25, don't forsake the gathering. And so that's our calling, but we're breaking the law during our, our calling, the laws of the land. Am I willing to go to jail for my faith? I would hope, yeah, the yes is the answer because I'm not going to forsake the gathering. And so that was actually a poignant question. I know that you guys remember that time. Um, Steve was the previous pastor of this church and, and, um, and uh, handed it off to Joe and the current eldership. And, and that was a, a big time of like, you know, you saw some, some big churches in California that were bucking the system. That were, but, but every one of them had to do so. And there were churches that closed down. We said, we're not going to close down. We're not going to do that. We're not going to, we're going to obey God. And we're not going to obey the laws of the land because the laws of the land at this point go directly against what God's commandments tell us to do. And he tells us not to forsake the gathering. It's extremely important. And, and phone calls were being made to the home group leaders. Hey, are you ready to lead a home church? Because when they shut us down, we're going to keep church going. And you're going to do it at home. And the answer was, yep, bring it. Right? That's where we should be. Are we willing to endure earthly punishment for a heavenly God? You think about in other countries, you may be killed, 
You may, your, your head may be cut off from your body for believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a real consequence. There are those of you in this room that have been to those countries. You know this. That's the consequence. If you're willing to stand up and say, yes, I believe the tenets, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, I believe in his name, you're, that's a death sentence. Not like we're going to put you in jail for a little bit, you know, or a few lashings. I mean, that, those, are, those are bad things, but they're going to take your life for that. That's amazing to me. Do we rejoice in our suffering for the gospel? Honestly rejoice. I mean, we can just be under impre- uh, oppression, you know, and like I'm getting beat up at work because those guys know I'm a believer and they start, they give me all the garbage jobs and they don't, you know, hey, whatever, bring it. What are you going to do? Are you going to take my faith away from me? Are you going to take my salvation? No, the world is temporal. Give me all the stupid jobs, whatever, you know, we can still glory in that. We can rejoice in that and say, God, I'm just going to continue on in what you have for me. And to that end, do we think that because we still suffer, are we not in God's will? I would challenge you that, I mean, the, the, the apostles are suffering in the right square in the middle of God's will. And oftentimes we think, I'm just getting hit so hard right now. I, don't, I, I can't hear God speak. I must not be in his will. Where, where am I? And I want to tell you that we can be right in the smack in the center of God's will and still be going through it. We can be in a position of where we're getting beat up from left and right, and we can still know that we are within God's will. How do we know if we're in God's will? I mean, we have, a, we have the yardstick, the ruler, the litmus test right here, right? Oftentimes we ask the question, I just don't know if it's God's will. Have you asked God what he says about your will? I mean, there are things in here that are extremely 100% clear that you could say, I'm fairly certain that that's, you know, let's let the Bible answer that. No, that doesn't fall in line with what God's will is. Or, yeah, absolutely. I know that you're suffering right now, but it seems to me that you're on the right pathway. And finally, there are many still suffering the consequences of poor choices. We have believers that are in prison radically converted, right? We have people here that go into prison ministry and they see that every day. And, and yet they're radically converted. They love the Lord. They're preaching the gospel in prison. And yet they're still in prison because they broke the laws of the land and still owe a debt to, to whatever the law is that they broke. And that doesn't mean that they can't be effective for God and be right square in the center of his will. He can take that situation and turn it into his will for your life. And boom, now, you're, now you've got guys that are showing up on, on uh, Thursday nights, our crew that, you know, the Thursday night crew that are like, yes, I love the Lord. I was radically saved in jail and I'm out of it and I'm going to keep powering forward. And God puts you right back squarely in the center of his will. Still suffering the consequences of our earthly choices. Continued fulfillment of the Great Commission. Just the last little bit here. And every day in the temple, Acts 42, and every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is the full message of resurrection, salvation through Jesus Christ. Full knowledge and experience of the consequences that could keep them down. They've already been beaten for this. But as soon as they got out, what did they do? They went right back to the temple. Who was also back at the temple? Yeah, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the entire eldership. They were still there. Don't think that they just let them have the temple. Absolutely not. They went right back to square one, where God told them to be. 
He said, go to the temple and preach the full gospel. They got busted for that. They went right back to the temple to, to preach the full gospel. Right back to that. Every day, without cease, front and center in the temple. Why the temple? Because the leadership was still there, and this was still where everybody was going because they knew that this is where they were going to find them. And they were hungry. They were wanting to hear that gospel. In the face of adversity and punishment, we can still stand and proclaim that the good news is the Christ. We believe the gospel truth of creation, the fall, the need for a savior, propitiation, the resurrection, and salvation, the full gospel, the full gospel. Jesus came in this world to restore us to right relationship with God, our Father, the creator of the universe, the author of life. He was wrongly accused. He was beaten, cursed, spat upon. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed, and he was cursed and hung on a tree. He who knew no sin became sin for us, who do not deserve what we get, and we do not get what we deserve, right? We do not deserve what we get, and we get what we do not deserve, and I'm talking about salvation and restoration. What, do, what is it that we deserve? Our, our wages, what we have earned, your wages are something that you have earned, and we have earned a death penalty based on what we do, but that's not what he gives us. Our wages are not salvation, but that's where Jesus hanging on the cross brought us back into right standing relationship. And we get what we don't deserve. We don't deserve that. I'm going to tell you right now, I have done things in my life that make sure that I don't deserve what I get, but Christ hung on the cross for me and said, I paid for that. Isaiah chapter 53, verse four through five. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him stricken, punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us, brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. I want to tell you that on that, that day of crucifixion, it's still um, just very real in, my, in my, my, my mind. And most of the time I can't even talk about it without coming to tears. But Christ after he was accused, after he was not released, ahead of a murderer, was beaten, and then he was taken up the hill to Calvary where he carried his cross. And on the way up, he was kicked and spat on, and he was cursed, and people beat him. And then when they got up there, they nailed him to a cross. This is somebody who was sinless. Didn't get, he did not deserve that. He did not deserve that. <clears throat> we deserve that. And when they nailed him to the cross, they hung him up there for everybody to see as cursed hanging on a tree. And that curse was my sin that put him there. And as as was shouted by the people, they said, you're the king of the Jews, get yourself down off the cross. And he said, no, it's not the point, because that doesn't... He said, Father, forgive them for what they do. They don't know what they do. He knew that in order for us to have eternal life, that he had to be cursed and put on the cross and hung. And that's, that's the point. And I'm so glad that 2,000 years after the apostles decided that they were going to continue and preach, they decided that they were going to carry the gospel message and spread like wildfire. And it's here today in the little church in Placerville, California, the USA, long ways from, from where any of this happened. And we still speak about it today. Amen.